Well, let's look at the passage that I read. I want to look at one character here in particular. Well, two characters who essentially have the same name. The first I want to consider is this man, Barabbas. And he's in prison. He's awaiting execution because of insurrection and murder. His name is an interesting one. Uh, Maybe it shows the sort of upbringing that he had because it's really no name at all. Uh, Barabbas means son of his father. Uh, It just simply means that. It's as if they couldn't be bothered to think of a name for him. Oh, he's just, uh, just his father's son. Son of his father. Like father, like son. He's a chip off the old block. He's just called Barabbas, his father's son. We've got no idea about his actual father. But certainly Barabbas, in the account here, exhibited that which all inherit from our first father. And for every one of us here in the chapel and listening uh, safely and warmly at home, we all come from our first father, Adam. And we all inherit his demerit in the Garden of Eden. And we'd have done what he did. Uh, He disobeyed that basic rule from God. Uh, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but of this tree in the middle, only one exclusion. You shall not eat lest you die and uh, beguiled by the serpent, the the devil, the fiend of hell. Adam and Eve take that uh, fruit and they eat of it and they exercise their independence from God. God had warned them what would happen if they did that. They would die. God is the source of all life. And the essence of sin is, I'll do it my way. I'll not have this God to rule over me. It began with Adam in the Garden of Eden. And every single human being since then, the latest born child, just every second or so, a little baby is born and they're born with inherent sin from their father, their Barabbases. We could all be called Barabbas. We're the sons of our father, Adam. We're all Barabbas. But this Barabbas, who's given the name Barabbas because his parents perhaps couldn't be bothered to think of a name, just call him his father's son, son of his father. This Barabbas had obvious, clear manifestations of sin. You see, whilst for many of us, our sins are either secret or respectable, for Barabbas, his sin was clear and obvious. And our problem today is that we can often look down our noses at those whose sins are obvious but fail to see and to acknowledge our secret or our respectable sins. We read this in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 24. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. They trail behind them. They 
die sort of thinking, well, I, I'm okay. But then arriving at judgment with them is this huge pile of sin that will be judged. Some people's sins are upfront and obvious. Others trail behind them on the way to judgment. But for many of us, perhaps you're watching at home thinking, well, I'm not a Barabbas. But we have secret sins. They're hidden sins. They're shameful, but they're hidden. They're known only to us and to God. But there's coming a day, and we can be absolutely sure because God's word declares it, there's coming a day when every sin will be revealed for what it is. Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 12, Therefore whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetops. There'll be nothing secret on that day. Every sin will be revealed. Every thought, every intention, malice, hatred, envy, strife, the things we have done that we should never have done, they will be revealed. And the wages, that which we earn, a wage is what you earn, the wages of sin is death. So there are many who have secret sins and they're hidden. But there are many who display sins which the world actually approves of. They wouldn't approve of Barabbas, insurrection and murder. But there are many sins today. They're not hidden. They're preened and proclaimed and displayed and the world seems to admire them. They're called respectable sins. They're acceptable sins. Some have got an edge to them. They all come down to pride. There's the first sin. The devil fell from the heights of glory. He used to be called Lucifer, son of the dawn. He was an archangel, cast out of heaven for his pride. I'll take my seat above that of the most high pride. But today we can be rather admiring of pride. See what he's done. Arrogance. Self-sins are admired. Self-assurance. Assert yourself. Self-confidence. self Pity, the self-sin, self-aggrandizement, greed, gluttony, gain. The world says, well done, well done that man, piling and piling and piling in more and more and more. Now there was uh, some head of a company, it's uh, a betting company. And think of all the misery that comes from those who have gambling addictions. All right, let's go to the, 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 the horrendous edge of it all, gambling uh, addictions and all the glitzy advertisements for, for gambling. And many football teams got it blazoned on, on their shirts. Bet this, bet that. And there's Jeff Stelling on Sky Sports. Come on, lay, lay your bets, Sky, Sky Bet and all, all this. Well, there's a lady and uh, she heads one of these companies and uh, she made 467 million this year, this year. And uh, we would say, well done, well done. This greed, this gluttony, this, this gain, well, well done. The Bible speaks about a man, 
who was very wealthy. He had big barns, but uh, he's about to retire. He thinks, uh, I need to have bigger barns. So he knocks down his little barns, builds bigger barns, stores everything in there. And he says, and the world would say, well done, self, well done, me. Uh, Eat, drink, and be merry. Lay back. You have much goods to keep you for many years. And in a sense, for that uh, head of the company and for this man here, nothing wrong with what he did, but here's what he didn't do. You see, he fails to acknowledge God and the brevity of life. He thinks only about this world. And so God says to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you and then who will get all of these goods? See, these respectable sins, they can be out there. Secret ones, we want to hide. Respectable ones displaying what we have done. But Barabbas, Barabbas, his sins are obvious and upfront. They're trailing before him to judgment that's very near to him now. Insurrection and murder. Insurrection. He's uh, against the Roman authority and power, the, the dominant world empire, Rome. He's against Rome. He's against Rome's governor here in Jerusalem. Uh, he's what would be known then as a zealot. He's on the far right of politics, where the far right meets the far left and uh, anti-government, and he's a, he's a zealot, and he wants an end to Roman government. Interestingly, there's also a zealot amongst the disciples. Uh, he's one of the 12 named there. He's known as Simon the Zealot. And here we have Barabbas the Zealot, and uh, both there in Israel. And the zealots will be fairly small but very powerful group. And I can well imagine that Simon, uh, the disciple, Simon the zealot, would have known Barabbas, uh, the zealot. And in some plot to overthrow the Roman government, uh, Barabbas has overstepped uh, a very powerful line and he's committed murder. And he's been found out and he's arrested and he goes through a trial and he's justly condemned in the human court and he's facing death this particular morning and justly so and on the hill outside Jerusalem there are three crosses going up Uh, two are for men who have committed theft and they will pay the ultimate price for their theft but the cross in the middle is for the chief criminal that morning And it's reserved for Barabbas, the middle of the three crosses, condemned in the human court. And as the day is dawning, Barabbas expects to be on that central cross. He's been condemned by a human court. He's soon to be condemned by the eternal court for the wages of sin is death. And Barabbas' sin is obvious insurrection and murder and it's going ahead of him to judgment other people are going to be quite surprised well I'm not so bad I'm as good as him who knew anyway God knew and we've broken his law we've gone our own way we all like sheep have gone astray others very respectable sins yes I piled up all this but who was it all for for me for me and for more 
and for more. But Barabbas, his sin is obvious and he's trailing ahead of him. And for Barabbas that morning, when I woke up at six o'clock this morning and looked out, the sun hadn't yet risen, but you could see the light coming. And what a beautiful sight when they peeped over the hillsides and the golden colours. And I thought, whoa, how beautiful. And I took a picture and it's on Instagram there for all uh, to see. So if you follow me on Instagram, you can see what I saw that morning. And what a beautiful sight and my heart filled with the glory of God and the prospect of a worship service with the Lord's people uh, here in the chapel and watching online. But as the day dawned for Barabbas, it was a day of horror. It was a hopeless waiting for a painful death and then to meet his maker. And as he's waiting in the cell, I'm sure there'd be many regrets there. Why did I ever get into this way of life? But there's another prisoner that morning, and he's another Barabbas, because he is the son of his father, He is his father's son. And like father, like son with Jesus. But he's given a name, Jesus, and it means God saves. You'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. But really, he is the ultimate Barabbas. For he is the son of his father. And like father, like son, Jesus. Jesus shining out and manifesting the glory and the beauty of the very heart of the eternal being of God. John tells us in his gospel inspired by the Spirit, John chapter 1, we read for you verse 14, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Christ comes into the world supremely to take away our sin, but also he reveals the Father to us. So much misunderstanding. What is God like? And we gaze at creation. We understand his power. We think of the universe and his eternity and his might and his wisdom. But how can we ever know his heart? We know it partly through providence, the rain and the sunshine and food, uh, stacking the shelves at all the supermarkets and the corner shops, his goodness, his benevolence. And yet, what can we really know of the heart of God? Well, we see it in Jesus Christ. John 14. Verse 8, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Oh, to see God. Moses on the Mount Sinai, show me your face. God, show me. I'm hearing your voice, but show me yourself. Jesus said to him, Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He is the display of the Father's glory. He reveals the heart of God. For three wonderful years, 
he goes around doing beautiful things, showing compassion, kindness, patience, and love. He is the God-man. He is the Father's Son. He is the Barabbas. When Peter preaches to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and I love this section for its summary of Jesus Christ and his life. Listen to this. Peter preaching. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem." They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now you have to ask why. Barabbas, I understand, insurrection and murder. But here's one, no one's got anything they can pin on him. Even Pilate at his trial, I find no fault in him. Why? What has he done wrong? Why should I crucify him? But through weakness and wanting to be a crowd pleaser and to keep the Roman peace there in Jerusalem or else he could lose his job and even his life, he washes his hand and hands him over to be condemned. Why? He done nothing wrong. Well, the answer is sin. Sin in the hearts of men at the time and we'd have done exactly the same. Let me say this and explain it. Unless and until God by his spirit changes our sinful hearts, we will hate true righteousness. We will admire self-righteousness. The self-sins are respectable. We admire them. What a good thing he's doing. Yeah, but why is he doing it? What's the motive behind it? And when the law of God reveals our real problem, and when true righteousness is demanded, we recoil. Apart from the work of God that changes our sinful hearts, we won't understand true righteousness. You won't understand what I'm saying now. It takes a work of God. Otherwise, we hate true righteousness, light and truth. Jesus speaks in uh, John's Gospel, that famous occasion when he's talking to Nicodemus. Let me pick it up at the, perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible. For God, what's the heart of God? Well, it is love. God's foreknowledge, his progenosco, his, uh, his love from eternity. And that God should love the world is an amazing thing. But here's something more staggering. He loves you. He loves me as individuals. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You see, that's what the world can't understand and the world hates. It should say, whoever's a good person will not be condemned. Whoever's done a great effort to help people should not be condemned. Whoever's a church member, religious, said prayers, 
done great works of, um, of benefit to mankind. Whoever does those things should not be condemned. But true righteousness says this. No, no, no. They're not enough. Isaiah tells us all your righteous acts are like stinking filthy rags. So I've made an effort this morning. I've put on a, a jacket as well and uh, they're, they're pretty clean uh, clothes and we, we try and dress ourselves in our, our good works and we want to appear before God. Will this do? Ta-da! Condemned? No, it won't do. Filthy rags. Because the law of God tells us this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and you'll love your neighbour in the same passionate way that you love yourself. And my friends, we can't do it. We can't do it. And so Jesus comes into the world and here righteousness is revealed. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Our default position is we are condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So he is a man, woman, child, young person trying their best, doing good works, and they're thinking, well, I'm, oh, what a good boy am, am I. I'm trying my best, and God must be pleased with me. And along comes the gospel. No, God is very displeased with you. His wrath is upon you. How can that be? This is an insulting. What you need is Jesus, the only begotten Son of God who left the realms of glory and came into this world. He lived a life you can't live. He's done it for you. Stop striving. And then to pay your penalty, he dies for your sin on Calvary. No, no one can die for me. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I'm good enough for heaven. Let, let me take my chances and your sin is trailing behind you. And you hear the gospel and it's an offence to you. And you're like the creepy crawlies exposed to the light. You lift over the storm. We've been gardening this, this springtime and... Uh, maybe a little bit more this afternoon and, and tomorrow, and they lift up a stone, and there's the wood lice and the creepy crawlies. And they dash off, trying to find the shade uh, again. And apart from a work of God in our hearts, we're all just like that, fleeing from the light. Two men, Barabbas and Jesus, and the choice that day was a simple one. The custom was that uh, the governor, Pilate, would release at the Passover one prisoner. Whatever he'd done, he's released, he goes free. Well, they're certainly not going to choose an insurrectionist and a murder. murderer. Surely they're going to choose the one who's unjustly condemned, who shouldn't be there at all. Surely they're going to choose Jesus. So the choice goes to the people and the religious rulers are stirring up uh, the crowd Give us Barabbas, give us... Bar what about Jesus? Crucify him. Why? What has he done? They shout all the more. Crucify him. Crucify him. Sin has done this. Sin has done this. What about you and what about me? If we'd been in the crowd that day, Apart from the grace of God, we'd be shouting, away with him, crucify him. 
What's your choice now? What's your choice this morning? Is it the world or is it Jesus? Is it Barabbas or is it Jesus? Apart from God's grace, we're shouting for Barabbas. And Barabbas is released and Jesus is led off to be crucified. And Jesus takes the central cross, the one that Barabbas should have been on. And either side of him is a thief. One we know will be saved that day. The other one will go to judgment with his sins before him. The other one, Lord, remember me. This day you'll be with me in paradise. And the sin that was before him and behind him is suddenly cut off and he's given the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he appears in paradise. Let's conclude. The picture that's here for us is very vivid and real. Think about Barabbas as he's released from prison. He can hardly believe what's happened. The crowd has shouted for him. He's the morning sun. So Christ is crucified at 9 a.m. After all, he's been through through the night and in the, the early light of the dawn. And Barabbas, looking at that morning sun, he's blinking in disbelief as he walks away. A free man. A free man, despite his heinous crimes that were going before him. For most of us, they're respectable sins or they're hidden sins, but they're sins that will sink us to hell. Nevertheless, Barabbas, though, it's obvious they're before him. Everybody knows insurrection and murder. He can hardly believe it. And he looks back at the scene of horror at Calvary. And let's call a spade a spade. Calvary means the place of the skull. Calvary, Calvaria, Golgotha, skull place. There are many lovely chapels called Calvary. I don't think if you want to call it Skull Chapel. Oh, well, come along to Skull Chapel for a lovely gospel service. Calvary, come to Calvary. Sounds so lovely, it means skull. Skull place. But Calvary sounds so nice. Jesus was slain for me at Calvary. Oh, it's poetic, lovely. Jesus was slain for me at the place of the skull. Let's call it what it is, place of horror. Barabbas looks at it and the central cross, that should be me. That should be me. He took my place. Now finally, the reality, the greatest exchange And so for you and for me, in 2021, this Good Friday, with the eye of faith, we must gaze and we must remember. My friends, never, never forget. If you're a Christian here this morning or watching at home, never, never forget. Now, here's our problem. Where does backsliding start Starts when we forget the place of the skull and what happened there. Starts when we forget Calvary and all that Jesus did for us there. When we're distracted by the world and and things and family and jobs and wealth and gain and get and whatever it might be. And nothing wrong with the world and uh, get and family and, and jobs, but 
The primary place goes to Christ. And when we lose sight of him and the focus needs to be Calvary, I tell you, our hearts cool and our service becomes sluggish. And we think, why should I really bother? Is it worth the effort? My friends, never, never forget. Jesus was wholly committed to you. And you and I need to be wholly committed to him. Banish our cool hearts or God have mercy on us and take away our sluggish service and give us a zeal. May we be zealots for the kingdom uh, of God. Insurrectionists in a way for him and for his glory. But never forget, my friends, with the eye of faith, as you look to Calvary this morning and say it, to mean it, that should be me. I am Barabbas, and that's my cross. Isaiah saw it before it happened. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace is upon him. By his stripes we are healed. He, Jesus, died vicariously. He is the only vicar. Many might take the title. I understand what it means. But there's only one vicar. Only one who represents me before God on Calvary and now before the Father in heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. One vicar, Jesus, one who was vicarious, one who stood in my place. So, brief application, are you not saved yet? Good Friday, what a good day to be saved. Repent and believe. Happens in your heart, and it can amaze you when it happens. Repent and believe. No forgiveness of sins, that relief, peace, with God and live to his glory. Are you saved this morning? Show it. Fix your gaze on Jesus and live a thankful life. Thankful life. Display that you are Christ's and that Christ is yours. I wonder what happened to Barabbas. Do you wonder about that? The Gospels don't tell us. History doesn't say much about him, if anything, at all. And yet, all four gospel writers record him. Uh, he was clearly well known in the early church circles. Only one or two things could have happened, ultimately. Either he went back to a life of crime, or, I prefer to think this, surely, 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 it wasn't just a physical exchange. Can you imagine that? To be Barabbas arriving at the judgment seat. That the one whose place Christ took physically on the cross. And I'm sure Barabbas was thankful for that. But to have missed the central point. That on the cross he's paying for Barabbas' sin that was going before him to judgment. I'd like to think surely, surely he didn't go back to a life of crime. But surely the Spirit woke him to see what was really happening on the cross. And I'd like to believe he was in the upper room at Pentecost. And I'd like to believe he was well known in the early church in Jerusalem. And uh, what a powerful testimony he would have had. And now, Brother Barabbas, would you testify? Oh, what a story. What a story. And yet, yours is the same story, my friend, because you're Barabbas and I'm Barabbas. We're the same rascal, hell-deserving sinners. Some 
have got respectable sins, others secret sins, others parading ahead of them. All I can say about them is there but for the grace of God go I. Sin is sin and the wages are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. On this Good Friday, it's right that we gaze at Calvary. Don't take your gaze off Calvary tomorrow or the day after. Not until you step into glory itself and then certainly you'll be riveted by him for the whole of eternity. Let's pray, shall we briefly? Father, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel. Thank you for the horror yet the beauty of what happened at Calvary where in our place condemned he stood, sealed our pardon with his blood and our hearts cry out hallelujah. What a saviour. Amen.